I have never heard Keith Morrison's voice before today. Oh my God, girl. <laughs> I've never heard his voice before. Look, Keith Morrison is a legend. And <laughs> let me tell you, you FaceTime me today about the Keith Morrison impression. I'm going to say it right here, right now. Bill Hader has that shit covered. I am basically going to be doing Bill Hader doing Keith Morrison throughout. So please enjoy. <laughs> Hey, Patrick Hines. Banana. You guys, we are so excited. So wait, can you say the name of this? I still can't do it. Okay, it's the Beatrice Six, Keith Morrison Investigates. But here's the thing, Discovery Plus totally hooked us up. So this is available to stream exclusively on Discovery Plus starting today. So they gave it to us early Uh because they just knew that we would love it. And Mm -hmm. I did love it. Did you love this? Loved, 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 loved. I mean, I'm furious, but I loved it. I can't believe I didn't know this story. It's such a, such a good documentary. It's a two-parter. We're doing it as a one-parter. Thank you, ID. I love you. So, girl, if they want more of you and me, if they want to hear more and more and more episodes, where can they find us? Well, they can find us on Lady Pates, also known as yes. the Patreon. <laughs> you guys, there's over 160 full bonus episodes to download a binge right this second. They're all ad-free. It's where we do all of the series, so it's everything from, like, I'll Be Gone in the Dark to The Vow to, what are we doing? Oh, we're doing Night Stalker. Yep, and then after that, we're doing Heaven's Gate, and we also yeah. did um, The Jinx. We did Serial Season 1, a podcast. That yeah. was a whole crazy ride. We did, like, 20 episodes of Making a Murderer. We did The Staircase, Lorena, The Menendez Murders, Lacey Peterson, Tiger King, yeah. Don't F with Cats. It's all there on the Patreon, you guys. You get all of that at the $5 level and then at the $10 level you get all of that and like ad free versions of these episodes. Yeah and we're also doing after parties where we just hang with you we, we take questions we give advice we, we send you out videos sometimes maybe you'll get yes. a magnet in the mail like depending on the tier there's a lot going on. There's one more thing I want to tell you about so we have a Facebook group it's the True Comment Says podcast discussion group go join it find your best friends. Yeah we got a lot to give you all the time like it's there's true. a lot of there's a lot of us out there if you like if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> Girl, we already told them, but tell them again. What are we talking about today? We are talking about the Beatrice Six, and it's not Beatrice Six. I know. I, I have this big note. I'm like, oh, it's called the Beatrice Six, not the Beatrice Six, as in six Arthurs. Six, right? Yes, that's so. No, that's a completely <laughs> different documentary, a whole different podcast. A beloved grandmother murdered in a small farm town. There was quite a bit of a struggle. She had broken bones, bruising, and injuries. But leads were scarce, and the case went cold. They couldn't find anybody. Somebody got away with something really horrible here. Then a local farmer began his own investigation. Bert's always viewed himself as a super cop, and he wanted to be the one that would solve it. Suddenly, an informant. A young girl saying that she knew who committed the murder. Before long, a list of six suspects and strange confessions. Well, maybe I was actually there and just don't remember it. But there was one holdout, one suspect who insisted he was no killer. He knew he was innocent. He's the only one that did not cave. A mystery of memory, dreams, and DNA. A case thought closed, forced, wide open. How did not one person stop and say, wait a minute, this isn't making sense. This was the worst miscarriage of justice 
in the history of the state of Nebraska, and probably one of the worst in the entire United States. Oh, all right, get us started, girl. Look, Keith Morrison is just peak Keith Morrison. I don't know if he's ever not just 100% himself, which is like a, a great way to live. <laughs> I mean, he's as, as old as God. Like, so he's figured out who he is through his lifetime, and he is really shining here. Yeah, you've seen that that viral video of Bill Hader on the Today Show meeting Keith Morrison, right? I have not explained to people who Bill Hader is in case they don't know, and like the connection. Okay, so Bill Hader used to be on SNL. I knew him in a past life. He probably couldn't pick me out of a lineup, but he was the best dude ever, and he does, does all these impressions on SNL, and he loves Keith Morrison, and he loves Dateline, and Bill Hader is one of us and loves true crime. <laughs> so he would always have these like Dateline sketches on SNL where the person would be like, oh, so um, we opened the trunk, and uh, my brother was there, and then it would be Bill Hader's <laughs> Keith Morrison like, oh... Was he all right? And they were like, no, Keith Morrison, he's dead because he was in the trunk of a car. I was walking along the lake one morning and I saw something floating on the surface. Ah. Was it Wilson the volleyball? No, it, it was an arm. Ah. Did he slap you five? No, it, it was a dead arm from a dead body. Oh, that's terrible. And so Bill Hader just like fell into all of our hearts doing this Keith Morrison impression. And then on the Today Show, they were like, oh, hey, Bill Hader, do you want to just like watch Keith Morrison record some of this voiceover that you do? And Bill Hader's like, shit, this is so fucking rad. And he's so adorably fangirly. And then like Keith Morrison walks into the room oh and God. Bill Hader is beside <laughs> himself. It is the purest, most wholesome thing. If you want to smile for like five whole minutes, Please watch that video. It is the purest, most amazing thing. I don't know how you get better than Keith Morrison. I knew he was going to be here. I knew he was going to be here. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Man, you're the man. Yo, I think you extended my career a couple of Oh, years. really? Oh, my gosh. Wow, so this is the coolest thing of all time. <laughs> this is where me and Bill Hader are like one and the same because I had never heard Keith Morrison's voice before. And it, I was like, it's so distracting. I could not pay attention to any of the coming up on because uh -huh. I literally wrote, I'm like, what is happening? Are we having sex or is he going to murder me? Like, it's a very like, he's either really into you or he's a serial killer and you're about to meet your fate. Right. It's banana. His voice is bananas. Just get ready. So, okay. so we're in this place, Beatrice, Nebraska. And I just wrote this note of like, we're getting and if these walls could talk about this like gorgeous, cool, old brick building. I mean, this is again, peak Keith, just giving us this history that kind of goes nowhere where he's like, we're, yeah. you know, we're at the Lincoln Telephone and Telegraph office. This was home to the Lincoln Telephone and Telegraph office where telephone girls spent their days connecting calls. Ancient history now, of course, they all went away, but the building stayed and was reborn as a downtown place to live. And became a downtown place to live. And I'm like, a downtown place to live? Oh, my God. But, you know, this building is really cool. It's like old, historic brick building. And this is the setting for this, like, brutal murder that's about to happen. Right. So our victim, her name is Helen Wilson. She lived in the second floor of this building, Unit 4. She was a widow. Her husband died kind of, like, early in life. And she, she never remarried. She loved being a grandmother. And we learn about, like, how thoughtful and generous... And and quirky this Helen Wilson was. Yeah, we meet her grandson Shane, and Shane says, She was known as Little Miss Sunshine. That's what everybody called her. Why would they call her that? Just because you never seen her with a scowl on her face. She always 
had a smile. She was known as Little Miss Sunshine because she was so happy. And I said, that's not a nickname anybody would have for me. And then my fingers typed Little Miss Drunk Time. You're like, Ooh. <laughs> it's, what's so funny about that is that like Keith Morrison, she's called Little Miss Sunshine, right? And at one point he's like, uh-huh. did she have any enemies? And I'm like, Little I- Miss Sunshine? <laughs> no, she didn't have any enemies, Keith. Wait, I'm not getting any credit for my joke about Little Miss Drunk Time? <laughs> I'm going to get you one of those books. Remember the Little Miss, the Little Mister, like Little Miss Trouble? I'm going to make you one or a little poster, Little Miss Drunk Time. And you're going to have a little bow in your hair and you're going to be adorable. You'll have you'll have dominoes in one hand and a Cosmo in the other. Oh, my God. I'm starving. <laughs> but, yeah, we find out that, like, she just, like, loved everybody and she sounds like a fucking awesome yeah. person. So, basically, Helen is just, like, this thoughtful, wonderful, sweet woman. Yes. And Helen had a lot of kids and they all stayed local except for Shane, her grandson, who's here with us and Shane lived really far away and at least once a year Helen would take the bus seven hours and I'm like you can't visit your grandmother get on the bus yourself you're making this old lady go on the bus for seven hours it was Shane's dad that moved the seven hours away and I'm like Shane's dad go pick up your mother for a visit seven hours and then one day during the visit so we're at 1985 right and during one of these visits Helen caught a cold and she really wasn't feeling well my dad I believe tried to take her to the to the doctor but she said she was fine Fine enough, she said, for the seven-hour bus ride back to Beatrice. She spent a week with them. Then she gets on the bus back for I seven know. hours when she's not feeling well. Like, Shane, what is with your dad? I don't... <laughs> Shane, your dad sounds kind of like a dirtbag. I'm sorry. Drive your mother home or offer to let your mother stay for another week until she feels better. Because then it's like... By the next evening, Helen was feeling worse. Yeah, because she was trapped on a bus for seven hours. Like, I'm I sure know. that didn't make her feel better. That's where she got the cold, GP. She got the cold on the bus on the way there. Seven hours on a Greyhound? Yes, totally. Wear your mask, everybody. Wear your goddamn mask. Can you imagine this? In 1985, we were like mask schmask. How we all survived (laughs) until 2020 is like a a miracle. I don't know how we have all made it this far. I gotta tell you, I haven't been sick in a year. I usually get like two flus and four colds every year. I have not. I wash my hands every five minutes and I wear 17 masks every time I leave the house. I haven't been sick in a year. I'm never going back, girl. I get three to four sinus infections or I should say I used to. Let me tell you. I have not been sick in a year and a half. Although I would take the goddamn flu right now for a drink at a bar with my friends. I I would take the flu. I would be in bed for a week if it meant I could have a martini at a bar with you right now. You know what's going to happen? The first time we go out and get hammered, we're going to be out of commission for a week because we're not used to doing that anymore. Our immune systems are all on vacation, you guys. They're like, what is this? What is this glass? What is this mystery (laughs) sludge in this glass? What is this? So Helen is home now. She take, she took a second seven-hour bus trip in a week. She's not feeling oh well. God. So she's home. And finally, like, the good son, Daryl, and his wife, Katie, stop by to check in on her. Her son, Daryl, and his wife, Katie, came to visit. Helen told Katie, I am so sorry. I haven't made coffee. I just don't feel good. I just don't feel like drinking coffee. She says to her son and daughter-in-law, like, I'm sorry. I really don't feel well. Like, I'm really not in the mood for coffee, which is significant. Keith wants us to know. And another significant point that he teases which we'll understand more later, is that (laughs) Helen's kitchen was spotless when Katie and Daryl left. So much so that Keith repeats it. Spotless. 
So Katie and the husband leave. They know that she's not feeling that well. So mm-hmm. they say they're going to call her later to remind her to take her medication. At midnight, which is a little weird. So they call her and there's no answer. They don't think it's that weird. And they call her again. There's It's not that weird. And then the next day they go to the house to check on her. They get there at nine in the morning and they go in and the door was open. They go in and they find Helen like brutally murdered in the middle of her living room floor. Yeah, I mean, the, the scene is truly horrible. She was bound and gagged. I mean, it was completely brutal. She was sexually assaulted. It is so, so horrifying. And the reason we're here is because this was such a brutal attack and murder that the repercussions in the town and her family, yeah. someone needs to be held accountable. And that's that's sort of where we're going with this. No matter what, exactly. someone needs to be held accountable. Yeah, and so we learned that the cause of death was suffocation. She had been sexually assaulted both before and after she died. Like, oh my God. So there are a couple things here that are important. Helen Wilson's purse was sitting in clear view on a stool in the kitchen. Money in it too, I guess. Money, about $1,200 in cash in the purse. And the person didn't take it, which is interesting. So it wasn't a robbery. Like this person just wanted to be brutal and horrible. There was a half a pot of coffee on the kitchen counter and the kitchen was a mess. And remember, her son and daughter-in-law said the complete opposite. Helen was like, I really am not in the mood for coffee. I don't feel well. I've been on a bus for 14 hours. And the kitchen was spotless. And so this is very different and this is alarming to people. And then this is another peak Keith line. He's like, Details, details, and memories. How much they would matter. Anyway, at the time, police canvassed the whole building. Details, details and memories. How much they would matter. Anyway. And he just like he drips off and then he's like, anyway, so the cops searched and questioned the whole building and came up empty. And I'm like, thanks, Keith. So we've been hearing about this miscarriage of justice, right? That this case is a miscarriage of justice. And then we also hear that there was blood, hair, and semen samples left. And I'm like, if there's a semen sample, why am I hearing about a miscarriage of justice? We should be able to find the person who did this if they're leaving every bodily fluid they possibly can. Girl, as you well know, we're going to get to that. I know. (laughs) I know. You guys, stay tuned. Stay tuned. I have so many times in my notes, oh, Jillian's not going to like that. No. Oh, Jillian's not going to like that like scattered throughout i just i'm like oh this is oh this is gonna be a good one so so there's a lot of red in your notes that's the color code right for like jillian will hate this it's just red tracks but what they find out they find at the scene there's two types of blood we had type o and type b um type o was was helen wilson and then we had type b blood um which was typed as a non-secretor which is kind of a, a rare blood type Whoever the attacker was, was a type B non-secretor. Every time I say the words non-secretor, I have to shake my head. That is the fucking grossest word. Yeah, the non part I like. It's the secretor that I have an issue with. Secretor. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And Keith Morrison is like, girl, sit down. I'll tell you. And what it means is, and this is, I'm just going to say what they said. And if you understand it, good for you. Um, It means that the enzymes in the blood are not detected by other body fluids. Like semen, for example. Thank you, Keith. The most important thing to know about that is that it's very rare. There's like type B and then there's type B non-secretor and the type B non-secretor is very rare. So though it's too early in like the world of DNA to be able to use DNA, they do know that if they ever get a suspect and they can test the blood and it's a type B non-secretor, they got the person because it's a very unusual blood type. And in my notes, I'm like, okay, well, maybe if the blood is so rare, that might actually help them. And then in my own notes, in parentheses, I doubt it. (laughs) Well, in my notes, I wrote, I guess that means the rest of us are all walking around secreting all the time. Ugh. Ugh. Chew on that, you guys. Right now, you're secreting. 
Am I though? Or my blood is secreting? Like, come on, science. Come through, girl. So the police are under a lot of pressure, not just from the family, but from the community. Like, there's a fucking killer on the loose. Right. So they're talking to everyone. And one night, someone just walks into the police station and is like, have I got a story for you? And he tells this story, this guy, we don't know his name. We know nothing about him. We just know that he has a story. And the story is this. This guy had run into an old friend named Bruce Allen Smith. They went drinking and Smith started complaining loudly about his sex life or the lack of one. He's saying, well, that, you know, he's going to get a a piece of ass is what he says exactly, one way or another. The story is that they were like really old friends but hadn't seen each other in years. And then out of nowhere, they run into each other on on the street and then decide to spend the rest of the evening together (laughs) bar hopping and going to parties. Look, sometimes I see people that I used to know on the street. I literally cross the street. I really don't want to do the stop and chat. So I can't imagine a world in which I haven't seen someone in 20 years and then I just like ditch all the plans I had and suddenly I'm just drinking with them for the rest of the night it really like there's like a person maybe yeah. if I hadn't seen Ashley in 20 years for whatever reason if she just like disappeared and fight or yeah. you but I can't imagine being like from 15 years ago Tom no way <laughs> yes let's go out and get hammered that is not my life yeah something tells me that like these men are different than you you know what I mean good, I, I, good. I bet there are other things you guys also don't have in common yeah, let's get to that <laughs> So, like, I'm calling him the informant. The informant is saying, so I ended up going to this bar with this guy, Bruce. We sat down at the bar. This guy, Bruce, says he's super horny. He hasn't had sex in a long time. And he's going to have sex tonight one way or the other. He doesn't say it like that. He says it in a different, gross, dirtbaggy way. But frankly, I'm too old to repeat it how he said it, girl. Thank you for that. And again, I ask, why are men? Like, why is this? And he's screaming this in the bar. So this guy, this informant, and I'm like, oh, so this is why no one, he doesn't want anyone to know who he is. Because he is like complicit in this. So they go to a party. The men ended up at a party where Smith reportedly attempted to sexually assault a woman. And so he gets kicked out of the party. So the man drove Smith home. The informant is enough of a dirtbag to be like, you know, I'm actually going to leave with the sexual assaulter. I'm not going to stay and like have my drink. I'm going to go with that guy. Right. Who I haven't seen in 20 years. Like you're going to lay your reputation on the line for this asshole. Like you barely know know the guy. So basically the informant tells the cops that he like took this guy, dropped him off downtown. The area where he dropped him off was two blocks from Helen's apartment where the murder happens like an hour later. It's freezing cold. To me, this is really important to know. It's like five degrees below zero. We'll, We'll find out later. It's the coldest night of the year and it's about four in the morning. And like that's the last time the informant sees this guy, Bruce. And this is where we also learn this guy, Bruce, his grandmother used to also live in that building. And it was full of bad memories for him. Apparently, he didn't get along very well with that grandmother. Probably on him all the time, and he didn't like that. And it would have been five below zero, the coldest night of the year, bitter, bitter cold. And this would have been the first door that he came to. Bruce had a terrible relationship with his grandmother. So that building was filled with bad memories for him. And I'm like, oh, maybe because she knew you were garbage, you absolute piece of shit. Like maybe she hated you because you deserve to be hated. So another thing, the cops found a wallet in the alleyway next to Helen's building. And it belonged to a woman who was at the party that they got kicked out of because he tried to rape someone. It's her wallet. Yeah. And, And the cops are saying like that woman reported her wallet stolen like right after she left the party. Like all signs lead to this guy, Bruce, is the killer. All signs. Or as Keith says it. Cookie crumbs. Yes. Yeah. Hansel and Gretel couldn't have laid a better path. Or so it seemed. Cookie 
crumbs. I, I love know. his little jazz hands. <laughs> Cookie crumbs. <laughs> amazing Keith oh my god so the the cops look into this Bruce guy of course he has a criminal history including burglary by the time they find this out Bruce Smith has left town so they track him down right he's in Oklahoma City and they're like hey did you commit this horrible like brutal rape and murder in this building where your grandmother used to live Mm -hmm. and so we're told that like he like says that he has no idea what they're talking about but voluntarily gives them samples of his blood and his hair and right away I was like oh I mean this guy's human garbage but that's pretty telling if he's like willing to give like those samples but again remember this is before anybody knew anything about dna so he's probably thinking what can you even get from that anyway you know right and what we find is that it is b blood which is what we're looking for but unfortunately he is a secretor and not a non-secretor so we're looking for oh, i know i know i know i'm I sorry like, oh that word is so gross uh, come on science girl we love you so much you gotta throw secretor at us we're always on your side science <laughs> So he's type B secretor. We're looking for type B non-secretor. So according to this DNA lab, he is not a match. Let him go. So knowing that this guy, as good as a suspect as he looks, isn't their guy because the blood type doesn't match, the cops like cast a wide net and they're interviewing hundreds of men. It was a laborious, time-consuming process. They interviewed hundreds of men and took blood samples from many of them too. But no matches. They were no closer to finding the killer, and months passed. So the case kind of goes cold for a while, and that's upsetting to a lot of people. But then a guy named Bert the Farmer comes along. (laughs) That's how he is in my notes. He's a farmer. His name is Bert. And here we are. So this guy, Bert, most people around town know him as Bert. He lives like a little bit outside of town. And we learned that he had worked with the police for five years. Like This guy, Bert, is really, he's kind of like Dwight Schrute from The Office. Yes. He's like really into the police stuff. And he like really wants to be involved. So because of this and because the case is kind of stalled, Helen's family hires him as a private detective. The family hired Bert Searcy because they were unhappy with the police department's lack of progress. It's like a five alarm fire for your family, right? Absolutely. Figure it out. Absolutely. Nothing goes, day after day goes by, you hear nothing. Correct. We felt like they wanted it to go away before they wanted to solve it. And so we also learn about this town that like they have a police force, but they also have like a sheriff's department. And somehow those two things aren't the same. They're like separate things. I don't get it. They're rivals. Why is that? Which is never good when two sides of law enforcement want to fight against each other and not be on the same side of trying to get the bad people. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that is never a good thing. So the thing is like the police department, they're like, we have our own investigation going. We're on it. And this guy, Bert, runs for sheriff, loses. And then the guy that won calls him and is like, girl, actually, I kind of need a deputy. It's very Michael Scott, Dwight Schrute. I'm just making this parallel right now. Yes. And you're absolutely right. So just to be clear, Bert used to be a cop. Then he was a farmer and he was researching (laughs) Helen's murder since it happened, right? Like on his own. So then the family hires him as a PI because the cops aren't doing anything. And then in the middle of this, he gets hired as the deputy sheriff, which is different from the cops. You following? Does that make sense? (laughs) Yes. So now he feels like this is his opportunity to like really investigate this case. And the sheriff is like, nah. And for two years, he kept pestering DeWitt for the sheriff's office to open up his own investigation of the Helen Wilson murder. And for two years, DeWitt kept telling him, we don't have the manpower, that's the Beatrice PD's case, we aren't going to do anything. But Bert kept at it. 
and at it. This guy, Bert, just like is poking the actual sheriff in the arm for a year. And finally the sheriff's like, girl, fine, fine, fine. Do whatever the fuck you want. Right. Just leave me the fuck alone and go investigate this case if that's if you must. Because what's happening is that like the minute Bert is like officially investigating this case, <gasps> there's a breakthrough. Like, exactly. like that's very suspect to me. Like Bert has had shit up his sleeve for a really, really, really long time. And yes. Keith with the shade we all know and love. He's like, Cersei later claimed he brought that information to the Beatrice police. Although there's no record of that. Bert claimed that he brought this information to the police, but there's no record of that. Right. <laughs> so what we learn is that there's this 21-year-old informant. Her name is Lisa. She has 800 last names. I did, yeah, I could she, not write them down. Long name, mouthful. <laughs> and she's all like, usually I don't give a shit about that, but she's a fucking liar. So here's what Lisa tells Bert. Lisa told Deputy Searcy that on February 5th, the night of Helen Wilson's murder, she and her then-boyfriend, now-husband, saw a car driven by a man named Tom Winslow pull into the alleyway by the old brick telephone building on 6th Street. Helen Wilson's building. And then there's another woman that she sees in that car. Her name is Joanne Taylor and another man by the name of Joseph White. All three of them together. This guy, Joseph White, his nickname is Lobo. That was easier to write than Joseph White, so I call him that a lot throughout the rest of my notes, so there's no confusion. They rely heavily on the Lobo name in this. And totally. we'll, if you're wondering why he's called Lobo, hold tight. It's a roller coaster ride. We'll, we'll inform you in just a minute. So she's she's saying, I think maybe they did the murder because I saw them there at like what would have been the right time. So then she says, and also, girl, the next morning, dot, 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 or maybe the morning after. And Keith Morrison really wants us to slow down on this, that like her initial statement was at the next morning, this next thing happened. But then she eventually changes her story. But she's saying she was standing across the street from Helen Wilson's apartment building in the small park outside the high school. Police cars had gathered outside the building, she said. And that's when Joanne Taylor approached her. Joanne, yeah. the murderer, according to Lisa, shows up, returns to the scene of the crime, which everyone you know, no one should ever do, and says... No, tell them to do it, girl. You guys, if you kill somebody, go back. No, yes, go back, no, do back, it. I'm back. so sorry. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Always go back to the scene of the crime and make sure all of your location services are on your phone. We want to know exactly where you are at all times. So this Joanne Taylor person says, oh, my God, hey, Lisa, funny running into you here at the scene of the crime and confesses all of it. At 7.30 in the morning, girl. 7.30 a.m. Yeah, and so then Joanne's like, hey, I'm confessing to this murder. Also, and we don't know the relationship that Lisa and Joanne have because Joanne is not only saying like, oh, like fancy meeting you here at the scene of the crime, but here's my confession. Also, do you have 500 bucks? I need to get out of here before they come get me for all the murders I just committed. And I'm like... What is, who believes this? Bert, you suck. Yeah. You suck as a lot of things, but you suck as a cop for many reasons. But because you were like, this story sounds so legit, I'm going to keep annoying my boss to pay attention to it. Yeah. And then according to Lisa, Lisa the liar, as I have her in my notes, Ooh. she calls Joanne a liar and Joanne gives her all of the details that only the killer would know about when they broke in, how the body was found, what was found near the body. Like mm -hmm. this story is all being taken by Bert, Bert the undersheriff, right? And Bert believes the story to be 100% true. So if you remember, the driver of the car that was like pulling into the apartment building at 1030 at night, his name is Tom Winslow. Now that Bert, the PI cop sheriff, farmer guy, has gotten this story from Lisa, he's got to go now corroborate the story with this guy, Tom. And since this confession is coming like four years after the murder, Tom, Tom's now in jail, girl. Yeah. So, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> 
You guys, the story's got layers. So they go to Tom in prison and they're like, hey, girl. So here's the thing. If you corroborate this Lisa the Liar story, we can help you out on the sentence. We can get you out of here if you just tell us what we need to hear. And like suddenly Tom's like, oh, shit. Yeah, okay." Because before he was like, I wasn't there. I I don't even know what you're talking about. And they're like, yeah, or we can get you out. And he was like, oh, shit. No, no, no. What what did she say? Because that like that's all true. Right. And so we see this confession with Tom. And we don't need to go through the whole story again. But basically what happens is that, like, Tom is describing, like, uh, so then we um went into the building. This story is bullshit. If you guys aren't following, this is not what fucking happened. Tom's like, we went into the building. And then Bert, the sheriff cop farmer, is like, did you go upstairs or downstairs? Like, secretly knowing that they would have had to have gone upstairs to do this murder. Tom doesn't know. So Bert is like, um, girl, why don't we take, like, a two-minute break and turn the camera off so you can collect your thoughts? Keith Morrison wants us to know. But it wasn't off for a minute. It was 44 minutes. Then they turned on the camera again. Tom all of a sudden knows they went up the stairs and he's just much more compliant and knows certain things that he didn't know before. That camera was turned off for 44 fucking minutes. Well, Bert tells him what to say. Right. I mean, we do, we've done this with Brendan Dassey. We've done this with West Memphis. This happens all the time. Jay from Serial. Like, it's yes. all over the place. So then, because of course, Tom is saying whatever he needs to say to get out of prison. I feel like... We can't be naive. We know this happens right. all the time. Some dirty cop shows up and says, say this and we'll spring you from the joint. Who isn't going to do that? You know what I mean? Right. So now they're like, okay, Lisa the liar. We totally believe her story. Tom Winslow corroborates it. Now we got to get Joanne and Lobo because they were here too. And we have two people on the record saying that they were involved in this rape and murder. So now we're getting this guy Lobo's backstory. And, you know, he's the second of six kids. He grew up in Alabama. We learned that he went after high school. He went into the army. Army and then moved to Hollywood. And one of the lawyers goes, Joe was about six foot four and extremely handsome. And he went to Hollywood thinking he was going to be a movie star. It didn't quite work out. You know, Joe was six foot four and extremely handsome. And I just sat up a little bit taller. Come again now? Well, look, you're, you're going to have great posture for the next couple seconds because we learn. <laughs> Do you remember before we started talking, I was like, I've got stuff to tell you. Oh, this, okay. this is the section girl. Of course. Oh, my God. Obviously. And that's exactly what I said you were going to say. So we learned that he wanted to be a movie star. That didn't quite work out. Instead, you guys, this guy Lobo does like naked porn wrestling movies. And his the reason his nickname is Lobo is because in like the gay porn wrestling world, his name was Lone Wolf Bronson. And I just wrote dot, dot, dot. All I will tell you is that these videos exist. Stop. <laughs> the look on your face. You side gooped? I, well, in this case, it didn't necessarily require. Shut your mouth. Gooped. This is amazing. What is happening? Tell me everything. I need photos. So I, I, of course, I'm like a gay man in my 40s. Of course, I know about these like oiled up naked wrestling videos from like the you know like the 80s and 90s they were like a thing of course I know about them of course I've seen them I didn't know this guy by name but I went and googled Lone Wolf Bronson naked wrestling comes right up (laughs) it comes right up I just googled Lone Wolf Bronson and nothing comes up do I not have the gay goop (laughs) is my goop too straight for this no I just googled it I don't remember exactly what the order I was like Lone Wolf Bronson because I have everything that comes up is Charles Bronson Hollywood's Lone Wolf on Amazon which is not what I'm interested in right now I will tell you it just I just did it again it's the top of my search it's the top of my search results okay wait 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 all I had to do was add wrestling and now my results are totally different (laughs) 
They don't look like they're having much fun on the cover. I mean, if you watch the video, it does it does appear that they are enjoying themselves. <laughs> oh, I see stills. Wow. I <laughs> this is gay wrestling. This is naked. Yeah, it's, it's, but like you can find pictures of Lone Wolf Bronson. I found pictures of him. It's bananas. Well, I just had in my notes that is something else about that whole story. But this <laughs> totally. Wow, this is better than I ever thought it could be. I know. I'm telling you. I was like, as soon as as soon as I heard them talking about it, I was like, oh yeah, I know about those videos. <laughs> Great. So here's the thing. So like, after making like a number of gay wrestling sure. videos, like there's lots of them, you guys. He decides it's like time to leave LA and go back to Alabama. And this is when he becomes friends with this woman, Joanne. Joanne, who was like was one of the four people in the car that night. And we learned that Joanne had like lost a custody battle with her a kid in Beatrice. He left California with his friend, former Beatrice resident Joanne Taylor. She asked him to travel back there with her because she had lost custody of a child there. He thought he could help her get the child back. That's how those two end up there and then eventually end up in the car on the night of the murder. So that's kind of like where episode one ends. Yeah. So episode two basically opens with Lobo and Joanne getting back to Beatrice. Like, And we learned that like Lobo's sort of making a life for himself there. And after four months, that's when that cop Bert, the cop farmer sheriff guy, hears Lisa's story. And now he's just rounding everybody up and arresting them. So he arrests Lobo in the middle of the night. He arrests that woman, Joanne. And we're off and running. Yeah, so Joanne and Lobo have the same lawyer. His name is Jeff, and he's here, and he's like, look, I gotta tell you, the Joanne Taylor story is not a good one. She's just lived a, just a nightmare of a life. I have no doubt that Joanne suffered very significant abuse as a child, but her description of it, I think you have to understand may or may not be accurate because Joanne can be just so delusional at various times. He's like, her life was bad, but this Bert the Farmer guy made it a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. So we see, again, it's the same thing. We see her interview, really. I guess not interrogation, whatever you want to call it, with Bert on camera. The same thing. She she can't remember what the building looks like. All of her facts are wrong because she wasn't there and she didn't do it. Yeah. Also, this video looks like it's from 1955. Like, this was the 80s. Why are these videos so bad? Well, I was just looking at screenshots from another video from the 80s <laughs> and that quality... <laughs> Looks very 80s to me. <laughs> Mustaches for gays. Mustaches for days is what I meant to say. <laughs> All the male, like gay male porn stars in the 80s tried to look like Tom Selleck, which I'm not mad at, but like a little trimming goes a long way, is all I'm saying. Yeah, I'm not a big mustache no. person. Uh, so I don't get the Tom Selleck thing. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, of course, Joanne's story doesn't match what Bert wants her to say. So right on cue, Bert stops the tape yes. to take a break and whatever, just like Tom, whatever. 19 minutes, girl. 19 minutes. Joanne's memory was, quote, much improved. You guys, her original story was like, uh, it was a one-story house. We were there doing yard work. You guys, it was like five degrees below zero and 11 o'clock at night. All of a sudden, yeah. the video comes back on and she remembers every detail. Per the brick apartment building, what floor it was on, the ripped yeah. $5 bill, the coffee in the pot this girl's memory is like on fire as they say yeah but now what gets even worse dr wayne price i hate this person 
I hate him. He's right out of a Ryan Murphy, like, murder, torture at the asylum guy. He looks like someone who just loves to physically torture people. And the thing about this guy to know, the most important thing, is that he is a doctor. He's a psychologist who has a previous relationship with most of these people because most of these people have mental health problems. But he's also an undersheriff, so he's a member of law enforcement. And, like, we get all these different stories about how, like, he's pretending to be using his, like, doctor bag but he's actually using his undersheriff badge. So there's no, like, doctor-client privilege when they're talking to him. Because he worked with Joanne when he was assigned to her when her daughter was taken away from her. So her lawyer's like... Wayne knew just how... um severe Joanne's borderline personality was. And the other thing about this guy is that he does this thing where he's like, oh, you don't remember being there because you weren't there? That's not a problem, girl. You've suppressed that memory, and I'm gonna show you crime scene photos and videos of the crime scene, and then the memories of you being there will just start coming back to you in your sleep. This is a thing that he uses against these, like, mentally unwell people, and it works. Yes, and that is but the repressed memories, that is not a thing. So, I don't, I think maybe one episode I was like that totally happens but no that's not like science says no but I do know like if something traumatic sometimes like oh I blocked it out saying like oh I blocked it out is not the same thing as repressed memories which is what this doctor slash sheriff wants you to think it's bullshit exactly exactly. but here's the thing so they're calling all these people in right they have like Tom Winslow they have Lobo they have Joanne all the people that were like uh, allegedly in the car that night that that woman Lisa saw Right. And that's great, right? But there's one major problem. Not a single one of them has the blood type they're looking for. Not a single one of them is that type (laughs) B non-secretor blood. I'm sorry. I had to say it. But that's why they have to keep adding people that they're calling in and arresting because they'll call somebody in who does not have a memory of being there. They'll turn the tape off, get them to say the right thing, then test their blood type and realize they couldn't be the killer. So then they have to keep adding more people. That's why this is called the Beatrice Six, you guys. If the first person they had talked to had like a B non-secretor situation, this would be the B Beatrice one. It'd be a much shorter episode, Keith Morrison. Yeah, we'll put a pin in that. We'll get right back to it. So <laughs> at one point, this guy who's who did time with Tom Winslow, the first guy where the cops were like, if you say that Lisa's story happened, we'll let you out of prison. He was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> so some guy that served with him is like, oh, my wife was there. Can you like cut me some slack too? The man said he knew all about the murder and had even heard his own wife was involved. Her name? Deborah Sheldon. She happened to be a distant relative of Helen Wilson. And like Joanne, Deborah was a troubled soul. Deborah also suffers from mental illness, and she knows this Dr. Wayne guy who's the psychologist sheriff. He also worked with her. So, number one, the story about her being there just isn't true, and we'll get to that later. What kind of asshole husband is like, I'm kind of tired of being married to her. I'm just going to say she did it. I mean, truly, none of us are safe. Like, none of us are safe from any of this. You think your husband won't turn you in? Like, look again. Like, think again. (laughs) Holy shit. Listen, you better make that HelloFresh good for Mike tonight or you are going to jail. I better watch my (laughs) shit, man. I mean, who the hell knows? Like, tomorrow you'll be like, where's Jillian? I don't know. Oh, so so Wayne, that garbage psychiatrist who plays cops and robbers on the weekends or whatever, he comes to evaluate Debbie, who he also had a relationship, and he's, like, really forcing this repressed memory shit on her. And basically, like, they call it, like, oh, he, quote, works with Debbie. And then he's, like, leading her down this path, and suddenly Debbie comes up with the name James Dean. And Keith Morrison is like, James Dean. Definitely not the movie star. 
not that James Dean. He thinks it's hilarious. Keith, never change. But the thing is, everyone is just trying to get out of trouble. They're like, uh, I just kind of admitted to kind of being there, but I wasn't. So now I'm going to throw this person under the bus. This James Dean guy is a real person. They go and find this guy and arrest him in the middle of a fucking parking lot on his birthday, girl. The guy's just at a bar trying to have a beer. I did, I did not catch at all in the 10 times I watched this that it was his birthday. Oh, my God. So they arrest this guy because Debbie still doesn't have the right blood. Maybe this guy does. They arrest him. They bring him in. The doctor comes to see him and is implanting memories in his brain, girl. And the thing is, James Dean, that James Dean, like our James yeah. Dean, is with us today, which is like, yes. oh, okay, so... So, okay, this worked out in some way because James is here talking to us. And James is like, look, I got to tell you, like, it's kind of amazing how this works. You know, I'm sitting there and now Wayne is like full on therapist. He's not a sheriff today because he needs to like convince James that he was like there at this murder. So he says they just, they badger you. They show you pictures. He was like, they were showing me pictures of the crime scene. Keith Morrison cannot handle this because he's like, James just keeps trying to say like the gaslighting is so real. They were showing me photos. And Keith's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second. Wait a minute, wait a minute. They showed you pictures and videos. Oh yeah, and at the time they showed during them the me. wait a minute, hang on. They're doing interviews with you when you're. They're trying to persuade you that you ought to plead guilty. They that you you helped kill a woman, and they're showing you pictures of the crime scene in which you were supposedly doing these things. Like he, the Keith Morrison <laughs> voice we know and love is gone because he's so enraged, and poor James like can't get the story out. He's like, wait, James, hold on a second, wait a second. <laughs> But the thing is, it works. Like, this guy was like, I wasn't there. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And then quickly is sort of, like, he's in jail. He's in jail. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, my God, maybe I fucking was there. Right. So now they got him on the hook. But guess what, girl? Not the right blood type. Of course it's not. <laughs> well, we're, we have five. We have five arrests. One more to go. This is called the Beatrice Six, after all. So after being harassed some more and these repressed memories, James and Deb both, quote, remember, and there's great shade from Keith here. He's like, they, every time he says remember, like you can see the air quotes around it. Suddenly, a sixth person is involved in the crime. Her name is Kathy Gonzalez, and she did happen to know this guy, Lobo, the gay porn star. Mm-hmm. He's not gay in real life, you guys. He just does gay porn for the money. Sure. And she also lived above Helen Wilson. So there's another connection. They test her blood. She has type B blood. But guess what, you guys? She's a secretor. Which is a good thing. She's not the killer. Yeah, but they're saying, you know what? The type B blood, it's close enough. They don't say this, but they're they're like, juries are stupid enough. Mm -hmm. It took them to get six people to find somebody with a type B blood, and now they're all going down together. Right. So there's six of them, right? And four of them admit to being involved. But Lobo and Tom Winslow, the first guy who was driving the car, they will not budge. They're like, we're not admitting that we did this. But the other four are like, I guess I was there. Because the lawyer for all of these people, he's with us now, and he's saying Kathy Gonzalez. She decided they're giving me a plea deal where they recommend a 10-year sentence. I could be out with good time. I'll be out of prison in just a little over five years. Or I could spend the rest of my life in prison or possibly be executed for something I didn't do. She made a business decision. Kathy, the one that has sort of the right blood type, fully knows she didn't do it, but like feels like she has no options. This happens every day. All the time. All the time. So now, like, you know, the six of them are in custody. Lobo and Tom are going to trial. And everyone's really excited because, like, Sheriff Farmer Burt solved the thing, right? And this is where Keith Morrison, who I'm convinced writes his own copy, is peak (laughs) Keith. Because he's like, Certainty is a wonderful thing. Watch out lest it slip away. Certainty is a wonderful thing. Watch out. (laughs) 
Lest it slip away. Keith. Keith. Oh my God. And the thing that we have to remember that I force myself to remember in these documentaries is that like we have all the information now because we're watching mm-hmm. the documentary. The people in the town don't have any of this information. They no. just think that this guy, the farmer, sheriff, cop guy, they, they're they like, he figured it out. He's a genius. He's a wonderkind. Right. So Lobo and Tom are the two saying that they weren't there. They are tried separately and Lobo goes first. So Lobo's trial begins in October 1989 and they move it like 30 miles down the road or whatever. It doesn't end up making any difference. The strategy of the process prosecution is just to make him like look bad and of course the first thing they do the first thing the prosecution talks about is the gay porn of course it's like the 1980s in nebraska of course it is and the prudes fell for it they were like well he must be a murderer (laughs) prudes bunch of prudes i love that they're like this white conservative nebraska jury immediately like shot daggers out of their eyes but i like to imagine there's like this one mary he sends a question from the jury room you know how they do that sometimes like and his question is like just so i can really investigate this um can i get like a name of the vhs that i can go and rent or like asking for an autograph what if he was like oh my god i have all four of your tapes (laughs) volume three is my favorite i know it's like sort of a deep cut but I love volume three. I love that movie did at like the 22 minute mark. Mm. <laughs> On top of the porn, they also start parading these witnesses and the witnesses are the people who confessed to being there and took pleas. So it's the rest of the Beatrice Six who's testifying against Lobo. And everyone, you know, like they're all up there saying that he did it and they're mm-hmm. describing him doing a murder that he didn't do and a rape that he didn't do. Saying things like James Dean said he was threatened by Joe White. Also testify that Ben says, yeah, he enjoyed the sex. And I think, I think jurors took that to say, wow, how bad could this guy be? And it works. I mean, of, of course it works. Like, Lobo gets convicted. He gets life in prison. And then Tom, the other one who said that I, I I didn't do it, I didn't do it, he's like, fuck that. I'm not going through a trial like that. And he accepts a plea deal where he gets life in prison too. Right. So And then Joanne goes to prison for 10 to 40 years. Debbie, Kathy, and James Dean, they all get 10 years. And then everyone forgets about the case because everyone's like happy that farmer Sheriff Burt solved it. And so Keith's like... And things went quiet around Beatrice, Nebraska back to normal for a while back to normal for a while <laughs> because you know that like we're talking to James Dean today so he's not in prison for life so you know the thing about Lobo is that he never gave up hope like in prison he always was like I'm gonna get out of here we are gonna figure this out we learned that like the prison pastor tells him about an attorney named Doug Stratton and Lobo writes him a letter saying like will you be my lawyer and this Doug Stratton he's here with us now and he's like sure like I went to meet the guy totally skeptical and then all of a sudden was like there's something about Joe White uh, (laughs) doesn't make any sense but you believe him he has a calm sense of shrewdness about himself that you believed so the lawyer is like well then let me go talk to that guy tom and see what vibe i get from this guy tom so he goes to see tom and he's like all right but he says before tom even sits down he's like so your friend lobo is saying like he's saying he didn't do it. He's clinging to the story that he didn't do it. I know you guys have been in jail for 15 years. And Doug, the lawyer, says, And Tom hadn't sat down yet. Big guy looks at me, starts crying, and he says, I wasn't there either, but no one would believe me. I didn't do it either, and nobody would believe me. I know. It's so heartbreaking. And then Doug, the lawyer, is like, wait, wait, wait. 
I have some good news. It's been 15 years. DNA is a thing right now. And we could totally look into this. There was this new law passed and felons are now able to ask the state to test this DNA that was never tested. Are you in? Like, are you into that? And they were both like, yes, can we please test this DNA? Which is amazing. And like, this is why this documentary really is so good. Like, the timing is so perfect that like yeah. DNA technology was growing at the same time this law was passed. And so we're back with Tina. Mm -hmm. She's like the detective like today that works with the local cops that was sort of tasked with like re-looking into this case. Which did you think when you got that message that you're you know supposed to go off and arrange this DNA testing and at the behest of this guy who'd been in prison all these years? Re really, I kind of thought it was a waste of time. Plus, more than two decades later, was the evidence even testable? It's been sitting in the basement of the courthouse for like 30 years. Let's go see if it's any good anymore. And they go down into the basement and like the DNA is perfect. Like it's been perfectly preserved. So they send the DNA out. And after eight months, which I'll scream about in a second, they get the results back and it's not a match to anybody. Like mm -hmm. all of the DNA at the crime scene does not match any of the Beatrice Six. It excludes them. Right. So we have Helen Wilson's DNA, of course, and then just some other type of DNA. And we have no idea who it is. It's none of the Beatrice Six and it's just like some mystery person. Who could it be, I wonder? Before we get to that, can I just say there is no fucking reason for DNA testing to take eight months. Build another lab, Nebraska. Build another lab, Nebraska. Figure it out. Yeah, like these people's lives are hanging in the balance. Eight months is unacceptable. Hire more people. Get more scientists, yeah. you guys. This is not okay. Yeah, ridiculous. And it's not just eight months. It's like all those years and eight months. Yeah. You know right, what I mean? Right. It's unbelievable. So something that's actually, I'm kind of like, wait, what? Is this a twist? Is the other shoe going to drop? Once the attorney general and everyone realizes that these six people are innocent, they start making moves to get them out of prison. And I'm like, this yeah. is weird. Like, this is great. This is what I want. But it's odd yeah. that it's happening. I've, we never... <laughs> We don't really see that. So while they're making those moves to get the Beatrice Six out of prison, they're also like, while we're at it, let's start over again and now take it from the top five, six, seven, eight and try to, right. whose DNA is that? Like, what's going on? So they start over, they start from the very beginning and who do they land on? That guy, Bruce Allen Smith from the very beginning. This is the dirtbag that like was at the bar with his friend who was like, I'm going to get laid no matter what and then went to the party and sexually assaulted that girl yes. and then his dirtbag friend dropped him off downtown at 430 morning. That guy. They're re-looking at that guy. So because he had just offered to give it to them, they have on file his blood, his pubic hair, and saliva. And he was a type B, but he was a secretor, not a non-secretor. If you remember, that was like that woman, Kathy Gonzalez, who they threw in jail anyway. She was also a B non-secretor. Right. So they're like, all right, we're going to send all this out for testing one more time just to be sure. And then Tina says, like, he calls and he says, hey, that Bruce Smith. And I said, yeah. He goes, it's him. I said, what? He says, I go, are you sure? <laughs> he says, yeah, 100%, without a doubt. And Keith and I are both like, wait, what? Like, how did this happen? You had that, you tested that DNA. That was the first DNA you tested. How did yeah. you mess that up? Back in 1985, when this murder happened, they sent this guy's DNA samples. And remember, like DNA was in its infancy at the time, but they sent his samples out to this lab, a lab that was run by a woman named Joyce Gilchrist. And she fucked it up. I mean, there's just no way to say it. And now, modern day, in looking back over Joyce Gilchrist's work, her work and testimony had contributed to at least four convictions that were la later overturned when they figured out that she just fucked up. She just fucked up the testing. She fucked up and she was never convicted of anything, of course. She just gets to like live her DNA lab life. This woman got fired in 2001 but had no repercussions. She put right. all these people away, ruined their lives by fucking up her work. Like, this is un- Where is this woman? And if there are four 
that were overturned, there are countless that weren't. Like she, it's not totally. just it's not just the Beatrice Six and, and these four other cases. This happened many, many, many times. So they know it's this guy, Bruce Allen Smith. They've got the DNA to prove it. And just when they're like Tina, our like our detective friend is about to like be like, where the fuck is this guy? She's about to go find him herself. Let me at him. We learn he's dead. He's been dead since 1992. Which is such a punch in the gut, right? Like, yeah. you just can't. But Tina, just because she's like, you would, I mean, sometimes I guess we'd call this petty, but I'm so here for it. She did visit his grave in Oklahoma and gave him a little gift. She laid a printout of his DNA report on the headstone. That was the closest way for me to put handcuffs on him I was ever going to get, so. <laughs> you would totally do that. Or if you didn't, it would be like a subplot on Jillian's Law, our new favorite TV show. <laughs> Right, of course. How could I forget? <laughs> and so the Beatrice Six are all exonerated. Like they are, they're let out of prison. They're the first people in Nebraska ever to be exonerated by DNA. My big notice, but did they get any fucking money? <laughs> they did. They won. Well, they. I guess we, as we learned, just because you win a suit that says you can get twenty-eight million, are you ever going to get it? Yeah, they win two million in a federal case. They win like twenty-eight million in a civil case, and we. Don't, I mean, Keith loves to tell us that like the thing about them winning the twenty-eight million dollars in that civil case is that like the taxpayers were left to foot the bill so like the community was really mad about it which I kind of loved but then you guys just as we get this like amazing news they're going on and on and on about that guy Joseph Lobo the one who did like the gay wrestling porn yeah oh I remember you don't have to keep reminding me I think we all remember the gay wrestling I, I just like to say gay wrestling porn on our podcast I don't get to say that often girl gay wrestling porn good job this is a fun job today <laughs> We find out that, like, he, in 2011, he was, like, living his life. He had reconnected with his high school sweetheart. He was engaged. He goes to work at some, like, coal plant. In 2011, two years after getting out of prison, Joseph White went to work one day at this coal plant and was crushed to death by a machine he was trying to repair. Boy, things take a turn. Like, he's trying to clean some, like, coal plant machine, and it crushes him to death. I know. This is such a roller coaster ending because it's like, okay, they win these suits. They're out of prison, which is amazing, too, that they were just like, oh, shit, we fucked up. Like, let's let them out. And then yeah. we learn about his horrible death after he was really just getting on his feet again. And then on top of that, just like a double, like a one-two punch, we learn that Farmer Burt and, and Sheriff Wayne, a psychologist or whatever, yeah. they're to blame, but they're not, like, financially liable, and they just sort of, yeah. like, get to go live their lives. Great. Thanks. They put six innocent people in prison. I know. And it ends on kind of like a weird note because remember um, Shane, Helen, our victim, her grandson who was with us right in the very beginning? Yeah. Apparently Helen Wilson's family isn't all that happy with the result because I'm I'm happy. Like we, the yeah. six people are out of prison. We at least know who did it. There is, unfortunately, justice wasn't served, but we know who did it and these people are out of prison. But apparently the Shane guy is like... And I'll be honest with you, Keith, the only person in this story that we feel sorry for is Joseph White. At least he had the decency and the respect for himself to say, I didn't do this. And he maintained that from day one. The other five, like, I still kind of think that they had a hand in it. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, Shane, I know you're grieving. I'm not going to pass judgment on that. But the science isn't lying here. It was that Bruce guy. I know. It was a really shitty ending. And, and I do get it. It's like, you know, and he says that everything we thought to be true for our entire adult mm-hmm. lives, you're telling us is wrong. And like, it might have been one thing if they could have let those six out and put the right guy in jail. But like, that guy's dead. So there is no, like, there's no resolution for them. It's terrible. Like, I mean, the only way this could not be a terrible 
ending is if this woman didn't get murdered, stop murdering people. Right. Like if we could start right at the beginning and maybe yeah. just prevent it all from happening. Because yes. Shane ends, ends, he's like, our family adores Sheriff Burt. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Sheriff Burt had a hand in, t- in this taking so long for you to get any kind of closure. Like th- this is on Sheriff Burt too. You know, I just have to say for all the ups and downs... Keith was always a constant here for me. <laughs> for me, it was the gay wrestling porn. <laughs> oh, good. I get, they both track. I mean, I guess either anyone could have called our, our reactions from a mile away that I would just be loving spending time with Keith Morrison and you are just fixated on the gay porn. And I love you for it. Wouldn't have you any other way. Oh my goodness, girl, we did the Beatrice 6 ID discovery. Thank you for giving this to us early. You guys, this documentary is available to stream starting today. Go watch it. It's really fucking good, don't you think? Yeah, it's on Discovery Plus right now. What are you waiting for? Go, go, go. If you want more Jillian and me, find us on the Patreon. Every month we give you four full bonus ad-free episodes. We're up to like, I'm going to say close to 200 like ad-free full bonus episodes, girl. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, Making a Murderer alone felt like that, so. <laughs> it's where we cover all the stuff. It's Making a Murderer, Serial. The Jinx, Lorena, All Beyond in the Dark, The Vow. Right now we're doing Night Stalker. Next thing we're doing is Heaven's Gate. Oh, oh my God, you got all of them. I don't know. We, uh, <laughs> Lorena Menendez Brothers. There's just all, all those like long form, the four, five, six, seven, eight episode ones. <laughs> God, it's so good. And you can also get ad free versions of these episodes. You know where to go. Um, girl, what are we doing next? We are doing Who Killed the Co ed next. Oh, tell me about this. I don't know about this. This is about an indigenous college student and um, her murder. And it's kind of like there's a lot of their ex-boyfriends and restraining orders. And is her friend involved? It's very convoluted. And I really want to know what happened to this poor woman. Yeah. Well, this was a long one. So we're not going to give you all the handles. You know where to find us, you guys. Stay tuned for the trailer for Who Killed the Co-Ed. And then after that, the hilarious and amazing outtakes. We love you guys. I love you. I love you. And Keith Morrison, if you ever want to hang, we're here for you. (laughs) And gay porn, send me samples to the office. Girl, the internet is here at your disposal, (laughs) and it's free probably. (laughs) I really don't need any more gay porn, you guys. I'm fine. Bye. Bye. (laughs) She was killed just off campus. Hedgepath's roommate found her body in their apartment. It's the heart-rending murder that mystified a college community. It was a brutal slaying. Rape was the sweetest person in the world. I can't believe in it, but I'm still in shock. Now, in this one-hour special report, we'll take you inside the murder investigation of Faith Hedgeman. The note said, I'm not stupid, bitch. Jealous. Police have DNA and the murder weapon. There's only one piece missing. Who killed Faith Hedgepet? In exclusive interviews, Faith's family and friends speak out. I realized I had this voicemail from her. I know that's Faith's voice in the background. I could hear Faith screaming. And groundbreaking forensic techniques are put to the test. After I had enhanced the audio, a picture was being painted in front of my eyes. They released this sketch of Faith's murderer. If the killer out there is hearing this message, we will catch you. a place called Beatrice, Nebraska. Beatrice. How do you say it? Beatrice. Beatrice rhymes with mattress. Beatrice rhymes with mattress. That's yep. what I'm going to say it. Great. I know that this is not the point, but it is a little odd to have people over at like 7 o'clock and make coffee, no? Clearly you're not from Queens. It's all, There's always <laughs> coffee. Always. <laughs> 
what Keith says, because, you know, like she didn't answer at midnight and he's like, strange, but not alarming. And I'm like, someone use that as the title of their autobiography. Strange, but not alarming. The Jillian Pensavalli story. Keith says, oh, man. Oh, 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 my. That must have been wild. Wild. Why are men? Why are men? So... Carl, go flip the tape at the cemetery. Yeah, flip Carl. the tape. You guys, that's something about the 80s. Give it a goog. Don't really have time for this right now. <laughs> Keith Morrison is here. Why are we wasting time talking about cassette I, I tapes? Know. I know. <laughs> really, this whole investigation comes down to somebody who could maybe have been there who has type B blood and is a non-secreter. Oh, I'm going to have to say that a lot more times, I feel like. <laughs> well, I think we get a good break from it. Okay. <laughs> But it, it does come back a lot, so I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I was really trying to help. Now we learn about this guy, Lobo. Joseph, what's his last name? Joseph what? Uh, Who cares? I don't have that stupid parental shit on. What the hell? I want to see this. You guys, who among you has a job where you can email your coworker porn as, as part of your work? This is legit. Steve, don't get mad at me. This is real. <laughs> Wrestling Live 4. Do I need to see one through three, or will I just get it? <laughs> A full half Nelson? Oh my god! Oh, oh, oh my Lord. god! I can't believe. Oh, that's why you know what it is because of porn. <laughs> it's like, how do you how do you know wrestling moves? Oh wait, we're talking about gay porn wrestling. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs>